I'm on right now. I don't believe you. That's not six. One plus two plus two plus one. You really are crazy. Well, you know, that's just like uh, your opinion, man. Me? No, come on. Don't be crazy. This is the Don't Be Crazy Movie Podcast, a show for film fans of all shapes, sizes, backgrounds, and tastes. On this show, I enlist help from fellow film enthusiasts to, to discuss what makes certain movies good or bad. We are by no means experts, but instead just big-time cinema fans who have loved to talk our asses off. I'm Zach Rancourt, and with me today is... Aaron Bean! Aaron Bean. This is a, yeah. a, a lifelong friend I've had uh, since college. So. It hasn't been that long. It's, come on. It's <laughs> been, but for some people, a lifetime. I mean, what? We, we met when we were 21. That's 13 years ago. That's a lifetime yeah, for some people. We're getting old. Our hair's starting to recede a little more. Our, our bellies are starting to get a little bit bigger. But I, I, I don't think you should say that. Your demographic is pretty old, I think. Most of your listeners are in their 60s. So Probably. Don't, don't offend anybody. Oh, I, I mean, I'm on this show to give my opinion because I love giving my opinion and having other people give their opinion because no one's wrong. We're all crazy. And that's the biggest thing. But um, Aaron, can you can you give us a quick introduction of yourself, who you are, where you're from, what you're doing? You don't have to give specifics or anything, but who you are, what, where you're from and uh, what you're doing. My blood type is O negative. My social security number is. Uh, yeah. So Aaron Bean, I live in Bellingham. A uh, beautiful little town in the very tippy top left corner of the United States. And uh, I am working in the real estate industry. Been doing that for like five years. I've been a movie enthusiast since I was old enough to have eyes. And, uh, you know, I just, I'm, I'm somebody who appreciates good art, whether it's in the physical medium or it's a, uh, it's music or it's, it's anything else. Um, I just appreciate people who have a creative bent to them and are able to push boundaries. So I really, I really like seeing where, where, how things change over time with, with tastes. Cool. I dig it, man. We're going to jump right into it. I'm so happy to have you here on the new and improved. Don't be crazy podcast. We are focusing on dumb and dumber from 1994. This movie was directed by Peter and Bobby fairly. I always say the fairly. Some people say Farley, but I say fairly the, yeah. the fairly brothers. They did movies like there's something about Mary Kingpin me, myself and Irene, just to name a few. Uh, it was also written by the fairly brothers along with Bennett Yellen. I don't really know Bennett Yellen, but that's okay. That's why we I think have that's uh, J- Janet Yellen's n- nephew. I think is who that is. The National Treasury, the head of the uh, Federal Reserve. <laughs> yeah, she directed National Treasure. I think there you go with Nicolas Cage. <laughs> so this movie, shout out Nick this movie. Uh, you know, it, it stars uh, comedic gems like Jim Carrey, Jeff Daniels, and uh, Lauren Holly. Not so much, but Lauren Holly's in it. What Mike Starr, Karen Duffy, and Charles Rocket. I bet you couldn't name the last three, or you you couldn't recognize the last three. What they'd be? Uh, what other films they've been in? Before, so. uh, not a one of them. Nope. Not a one. Could you? I mean, Karen Duffy was in Blank Check, and she was in a couple other movies too. So yeah, I don't I have nearly so. the uh, the knowledge base of obscure movie references you do. So I can't keep up with you on that. But I'll take your word for it. I think Charles Rocket just plays a bad guy in pretty much everything. Like with maybe, that name, how could you not? Movies. Yeah, or a porn star. 
Ooh, yeah, he's got a rocket. <laughs> so this movie, critically, uh, on IMDb, it did pretty well, right? So 7.3 out of 10. But on Rotten Tomatoes, the uh, they weren't super kind with it. They give it a 68%, which is still passing. That's the cumulative, cumulative critic score. And then the audience score is a lot higher. That's at 84%. So clearly, this is a audience favorite. And the critics thought it was maybe shallow and pedantic. But we are here to possibly discuss that. This movie has a budget of $17 million. Uh, in the in the U.S. and Canada, it grossed $127 million. On opening weekend, it grossed $16.3 million. And that was on December 18th, 1994. And worldwide, this movie grossed $247.3 million. It's a lot of, a lot of money for a comedy that only cost 17 mil. Not a bad return. See this one? 250,000. You might want to hang on to that one. <laughs> there it is with there the it reference. Is. It's as yeah. good as money. No, oh, it's as good as money. We will return every penny. So, uh, a couple fun facts about this movie too. So, Jim Carrey's salary was actually $700,000, but this movie came out in 94. And another Jim Carrey gem, Ace Ventura Pet Detective, also came out that year. Because of the success of that film, that opened at number one. So they were like, wait a minute, pause, pause, pause. And his agents renegotiated his salary to $7 million. Not $700,000, $7 million. That's a good agent. And honestly, he deserved it. Ace Ventura is a classic. Mm -hmm. It put him on the map, you know, amongst other things. But yeah, it was, uh, I think that was the best move. And then well, I mean, thinking of that run that he had there in the 90s, like you mentioned some of those other movies around that same time, you know, like he just was making hit after hit, you know, and, and his star was ascendant at that time. Yeah, he was a household name. I mean, he was on every VHS cover you could think of, and he, he put butts in the seat. So um, his chipped tooth actually in the movie, which is pretty prominent, it was actually a chipped tooth. He removed the cap for the film. To make it look, make his character look a little more deranged, which is pretty crazy. Yeah, and it works. It totally it works. I was thinking that when I watched it the other day. Like, you know what? This makeup department, they must have put these false <laughs> caps on or something, and that must have been uncomfortable. But I had no idea that was his real chip tooth. That's insane. Mm hmm. So Jeff Daniels once ran into Clint Eastwood on a golf course and he they were discussing the film and Jeff Daniels braced himself for a really negative reaction from Mr. Eastwood. But. Clint loved the movie and he talked about the bathroom scene, actually. And he recalled a moment in his personal life that that kind of happened. The the whole meet me here at 3 a.m. sort of thing on March the 21st. Uh, he was on a date when that happened, but quite fascinating. I'm sure it didn't go down the same way. Yeah, still. I wonder if if Clint Eastwood was giving the manly love or receiving the manly love. Uh, I don't know. That's a good probably, question. Probably giving. He does look like a giver. Do you feel lucky, punk? Ooh. Yeah. I feel lucky with Mr. Mr. Do you feel Eastwood. lucky, sea bass? Do you? <laughs> that gentleman over there is sea bass. So, and then finally, uh, Jim Carrey's famous line that I quote all the time, big gulps, huh? Uh, <laughs> that was improvised, and the big gulpers weren't even extras. They were just kind of hanging out watching the filming, and Peter Farrelly was like, hey, why don't you go ahead and uh, jump in on this? And they did. Oh, that's crazy. I had no idea. I was actually, that, that scene kind of popped out to me when I watched it, whereas it, it, I never really noticed it before, but it's just such an awkward, like little tiny interaction in that movie that completely encapsulates how out of touch Jim Carrey is with everybody around him. 
Yeah, he definitely he has a way to to improvise and to to bring people together. But it's it's funny because I mean movies like this they do such a good job of 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 creating moments that are memorable that that you you laugh at stupid parts that maybe people don't really generally laugh at. But I mean, anytime I go to Seven Eleven and I see a big gulp, I can't not think big gulps. Huh. Well, see you later. I mean, it's yeah. just so awkward and funny, and I, I, yeah. I dig it. Every time, every time somebody says something that seems unlikely, like I, I feel like I annoy everybody around me because it's every single time. So you're telling me there's a chance. There you go. <laughs> God. So, okay. Well, here's a quick synopsis, and I got this from IMDB from user Halo1K. That is Halo1000. Lloyd Christmas is a limo driver who's a few beers short of a six-pack. His equally clueless roommate, Harry Dunn, is an operator for a mobile pet grooming service called Mutt Cuts. One day, Lloyd is assigned to pick up a wealthy customer for a ride to the airport. He believes this customer named Mary Swanson is the most beautiful woman he's ever seen. Little does Lloyd know that Mary is the victim of an elaborate kidnapping and extortion plot, and that the trip to the airport was supposed to be the payoff to release her kidnapped husband. Lloyd grabs the briefcase and that sets off a chain of events that see him and Harry going to Aspen, Colorado, hell-bent on delivering the briefcase to Mary. But along the way, they meet nearly every seedy and shady character involved in the conspiracy. But Lloyd doesn't know that the briefcase he set on delivering to Mary contains nearly $5 million in cash, and his friendship with Harry is tested at every stop along the way. Will they make it to Aspen and live the high life, or face the wrath of the kidnappers and the FBI? Thank you, Halo1K, for that lovely synopsis. Okay, and before we start, Aaron, I uh, I, I created I didn't create I listed a, a secret word that I'm going to keep tabs on how many times you say it. The the point is though it's secret, so you don't know. And then I'm going to have you guess at the very end. It's an obscure word, so you might not get it. Is this some like psychological trick? Like, what are you talking about? Are you, <laughs> are you incepting this this word into my brain? I'm incepting. Don't think about pink elephants. That's what I'm incepting. Oh, so. Son of a bitch. Well, great. Let's jump right into this. So, Dumb and Dumber. Aaron, how many times have you seen this movie? And with that, is it actually one that gets better with each viewing, or has it kind of grown stale for you? Okay. Now, I feel like the answer to the second question has just got to be obvious. I mean, no, it does not get stale. It's one of those movies that I feel really, really stands up. And the reason being is the jokes are not tied to any sort of time frame or specific part of like history where it needs to be relevant to what's going on at the time. It's just about these doofuses that we can all sort of identify with that are very relatable and the situations that they find themselves in while often, you know, incredulous or incredible are also, it's not like they're extreme, you know Um, I've seen it probably four to five times overall in terms of, you know, seeing clips on TV or just like watching little bits here and there. Um, I've only watched it all the way through just in one sitting, probably two times, I would say. But yeah, it's absolutely replayable. It's just, it's, it's all about the gags and the jokes and they always hit every single time. Interesting. Did you ever watch it uh, edited for TV at all? You know, I must have, because I watched it like on TNT when it was on all the time and Think after you ask that question, I'm trying to process and think what scenes might not have made the final cut on the TV. Like, do you know if there were any scenes that were edited for TV? I mean, they don't. There's certain words they cut out, and I remember the scene when Harry had, or when Lloyd has the the daydream of him and Mary 
um, and he lifts up her dress and shows her butt. Um, that's mm. cut out on TV because uh, you can't show butts. But what? it was I don't know. Um, and then just some of the stuff that they used to say were it'd be cut out because it'd be on TNT or whatever. So, well, I mean, I, I, I was thinking about that in relation to some comedies that were even newer, you know, but still sort of old, like Talladega nights. There's so many elements of movies like Talladega nights that rely on jokes that take advantage of people that now we can't, we can't and don't joke about, you know, like some of the homophobia in it. And there's really not, much if any of that in this movie so i i don't know what would be so risque about it except maybe like that scene where he grabs the guy's heart out of his chest if that was too violent for tv but i mean what's uh, a butt come on i think they do edit that part out actually just because it shows blood a little bit but yeah this movie's pretty tame especially for the fairly brothers who you know something about mary is pretty risky i remember watching that movie this is gonna sound really weird but in a hotel room with uh it was one of my one of my best friends as a kid we had like a birthday party at a hotel and we went swimming and stuff and there were probably like eight of us there and we uh my friend's stepdad rented there's something about mary so we were like yeah and we got to watch it we didn't get half the jokes that were in there and i was like what is hanging from his ear Mm. i don't get the hair gel (laughs) joke i mean that's a lot more risque than than this movie this movie's just about two two dumb people on a road trip, but it, yeah. it works, you know, like it, it, it just, it, it t- tends to work for some reason. And I think for me, I'll be honest, this viewing that I watched the other day, I've seen this movie probably like 20 times. I can, I can quote it left and right, but I wasn't laughing that much when I watched it this time. So I, that's kind of why I asked if it's grown stale for you, because for me, I just, uh, I kind of chuckled. And I think I laughed more because I knew what was coming up. And then I can talk about that with friends outside of the movie. But I, I wasn't incredibly enamored with this film as, as much as hmm. I used to be. I don't know. Maybe I'm growing old and cynical. Yeah. I mean, I, I think definitely our senses of humors change as we get older. But and, and it is sort of an infantile style of humor. You know, it's not like in, there's no complicated jokes that really take a lot of thinking to to comprehend the, the punchline. But. I don't know. I, I feel like it's it's just so relatable and it's so approachable for people. For, you know, whether you're 15 or you're 55, you 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 understand the joke, whether or not you think it's funny, you understand it. Yeah, I can see that. And I have a question later. We'll we'll discuss with that with uh, modern audiences. But mm. I I'm surprised you've only seen it two times all the way through. Is that including your most recent watching of it, viewing of it? To be honest. Yes, but I also have a terrible memory, so I can't promise that I didn't see it like 10 other times and I just wow. blacked out. But I don't rewatch movies the way a lot of people do. You know, like I, I know you rewatch movies a lot, and that's why you're able to quote things so prolifically, but I, I just tend to not rewatch movies. I'm terrible at quoting. I can quote things, but oh, I, stop always, it. I always, I know I mess them up all the time. And I know, I mean, if people quote it to me, I know what it's from, but I'm, it's like a language, right? Certain languages I can't speak, but I can read, like I can read and understand French for the most part, but I have a hard time speaking it. Same thing with Spanish. So it's, it's one of those things that, yeah, this was, this was one of those movies that we had on VHS in the Rancourt household. I don't know what it was like in the Bean household, but yeah, we, we had this on VHS. Uh, you know, I don't think I did have this on VHS. I think no, gosh, I don't think I did because when we were kids, we really had like the Disney movies on VHS and like Jurassic Park and stuff. But my parents didn't really go for some of the more, you know, uh, low brow stuff. They, I don't think they encouraged us to, to watch that. <laughs> I like it. That's why I'm so smart now. <laughs> yeah. SMRT. 
Mm. So I want to talk about comedies because comedies like this may not be the easiest to make anymore. Well, this one doesn't really have anything too overly offensive that we were talking about. Uh, Certain movies that like Airplane, Team America, World Police, Blazing Saddles or even Tropic Thunder might have a difficult time being made today in 2022 and moving forward. So why is this and what are your thoughts on the state of comedy films in general? Yeah, so you chose some really good examples there Um, and they kind of run the gamut. So obviously people change and cultures and societies change and we update our our knowledge on what is okay and what's not uh, as time we get better. I, f- I feel like as a general rule, we're trending towards becoming better towards each other in terms of, you know, how we treat each other, at least in, you know, a lot of societies. So what used to be okay and was normal and nobody batted an eye at now you just, you can't do. And that's, that's good in almost all cases, right? Like I know a lot of people whine about cancel culture and et cetera, et cetera. But in a lot of cases, I think that has just led to a general reduction in the amount of harassment and, and vitriol that people have uh, received, or even just like this subversive under the, under the, you know, subcurrent sort of messaging that people get through the media. So like, Tropic Thunder. When I when I saw that you had pointed that one out, I was like, "That's a perfect example because it's not even that old." That was like what ten years ago? Yeah, I think so. I think it was longer than that, but still, that was yeah. Yeah, I mean Robert Downey Jr. He had just come back. You know, he was. I think Iron Man had just come out when he did that. And not only do they use the you know the R word, um, you know, in that scene where he's saying you never you don't want to be full Sean Penn, um, but he's in blackface. Yeah. It's like, pretty bad. I'm not the first one to say <laughs> this, but that has got to be the last example of somebody using blackface in a movie ever. And even though it's done ironically, you know, it's like pointing fun at the old, you know, antiquated Hollywood sort of, uh, mindset, I guess you, you just can't do it even in an ironic way anymore. No way. Do you, you know, know, he got nominated for best supporting actor for that role. What? Yeah. That sounds yeah. so meta because like, didn't his character in the movie get nominated for some award for that role? And then now he got, he then Robert Downey Jr. The actor got nominated. Yeah, it was uh, pretty crazy. Yeah. Best supporting actor. He, um, he got nominated oh, back wow. in, I got to find it, but yeah, it was, uh, it was pretty crazy. Yeah. 2009. Cause it was a 2008 movie. So in oh, 2009, he got years, best supporting yeah. actor nominated. Isn't wow. that crazy? That's insane. And for a comedy too, like you don't often see actors and comedies get nominated for Oscars. I guess that, that, you know, shows something about Robert Downey Jr.'s star power. Uh, one of the other movies that you brought up, Blazing Saddles, I, I had never, this is a confessional, I had never seen Blazing Saddles until about a month and a half ago. Oh, man. <laughs> yeah, we had a movie night and we watched Blazing Saddles and parts of it were definitely funny. Like I definitely thought a lot of it was funny and some of it was just cringy and you were like, oh, that joke just eh, doesn't really work. And then other parts, I was very uncomfortable. Like I was looking left and right at the other people like, are you guys like, what are you guys, what are your reactions to this? This is weird. You know, it was not only just the language, you know, and the words that they used, but their portrayals of certain groups. And uh, it was really rough. But at the time, like I said, people didn't really bad an eye. It might have been slightly controversial, but it really wasn't that that weird then, but it is now. Or like I mentioned, Talladega Nights, that whole subplot where Ricky is homophobic and won't kiss Sasha Baron Cohen's character. And there's the whole thing about him being gay. It's so 
it's so cringy now and it's so out of place and it makes me really not like the movie. I tried to watch it like six months ago and I just didn't enjoy it at all. Whereas other movies of that same time period, even other Will Ferrell movies like Anchorman, you know, Anchorman is much more akin to Dumb and Dumber and it's just, it's just a bunch of idiots, you know, that say stuff that's not real and they're out of touch with reality. So to make a long story short, I, I think, yeah, we're definitely getting better about being protective about certain marginalized groups. And we're definitely taking uh, a, an, a a closer look at some of the things that we used to think were funny or appropriate. This is always a hard conversation to have because no matter what, and I had this conversation on a, on a date the other night, um, I have a shirt oh and I, I love baseball. And one of the slogans back in the day uh, when guys were hitting home runs left and right was chicks dig the long ball. Now, I'm not a woman. Uh, I am a guy and, and the equivalent to chick would be dude. So I know I don't get offended with dude. However, I don't wear that shirt in public because I'm just slightly concerned about the backlash that it would cause. Uh, I don't want to be perceived in a certain way. Um, because I always, I'm, everything I do is coming from a, a place of love and, and, and with, with open arms and I'm, I'm never trying to offend someone, um, Unfortunately, we live in a world where people just make up their own narratives and project their own things on people. So uh, I I would be careful wearing that shirt in public as as me. But I've had this conversation with my with my women friends and they some of them, you know, they have conflicting views on it. It's like, well, yeah, you know, I mean, as long as you're not walk around like a douchebag, because then I would think, oh, that guy's a douchebag. But other other women are like, nah, I, I don't give a shit about it. It's not like, you know, fuck bitches get money oh, sure. or something like that. But right. but it's also kind of one of those things that it, it teeters the line a little bit. And I mean, I've even talked about the name of this podcast where it's, you know, don't be mm-hmm. crazy. I was on a date with a gal a couple of years ago and she said that crazy is a microaggression. So she said, have you ever thought about changing the name? And I was like, well, while I understand that, I, I, I don't necessarily agree with that. I mean, we use crazy in, in all the senses and it's it's just it's fascinating. And while I do believe cancel culture is a necessary thing because there's been too many terrible words and and hatred out there and, and vitriol, like you were saying, I think it's important that we we learn from those mistakes and course correct. But with comedy, it's hard because we, we're starting to get a little too offended and too sensitive to things. And comedy will, should always be offensive to a certain point. Um, and, and, and so. I'm not a writer. I have friends who are comedic writers. I have friends who are just regular writers and they are incredibly knowledgeable. And we've had these kind of conversations. And and I think at the core of it, comedy is supposed to be offensive. It's Mm. subjective through and through. And you're not going to like what someone's putting down, but some other people really might like it. It's not like you're sitting out here saying all women are terrible or all men are terrible or, you know, the Muslim race is terrible or, or Asian people are terrible. It's like, yeah, you have those, but I think your, your example with blazing saddles, a Jewish man, Mel Brooks is making fun of how stupid some people are, which we see a movie from the seventies is still relevant now today, 50 years later, because it's like, yeah, there are a lot of morons, you know, salt of the earth people, idiots. Yeah. (laughs) And so it's, it's so true. And while it is cringy, I mean, you got to understand that during that time too, he's making fun of how stupid this is, how stupid racism is and how stupid people are. I mean, 
Anybody got any nickels? <laughs> so, well, that's like, the argument why it was okay for Robert Downey Jr. to do blackface is that they're saying he was yeah. lampooning that that old Hollywood, he, you know. He he was lampooning, yeah, he was lampooning, and he got approval, which doesn't necessarily make it right. He he got approval no. from his his African American friends, and what what made it. That's what really, hit, is that a real thing? Yeah, something along those lines. That, was that his, sounds like one of those things. Like, I'm not racist. I have black yeah, friends. Yeah, I know. It's it's not it's not the best, but but basically he was making fun of people who yeah he was lampooning the idea that people would do that and go through these transformations in order to become a certain character, and it was like it was so well, asinine. I think, I, I think the the broader message behind him being in blackface was the lampooning the the fact that Hollywood will instead of hiring a black actor, yes. will hire a white actor to play a black person. You know, yes. it's like Jesus. There's no representation, and and screw right. Hollywood. You know, Hollywood's so white. Seriously, though, I mean, I was making this comment when I was with I was with a couple friends, and we were somewhere. I'm like, man, this bar is very white. It's like really <laughs> old white man, and I felt uncomfortable. Like. I as a white male, I'm like, this is weird. Why am I well, here? <laughs> yes, but do you think people in Finland say that? Yeah, but it's different, though. I mean, in Finland, it's not... <laughs> I don't want to go too far into it, but I'm saying... Oh, fair, when, fair, when enough, you, fair When you go to some of these bars and you're like, well, I can probably guess what kind of car they drive and, and who they check on their ballot box every every once in a well, while. Well, around here, it's a Subaru, but... but well, back, maybe. Yeah. Yeah, not, back not, to what not that, old white man, but... That story with that girl that you went on a date with and she said that thing about your podcast name... I mean, you know what your response should have been, right? I should have been like, don't be crazy. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Come on. Don't be crazy. No. See, but that's me. I just don't, I don't want to offend people. And, you know, I, I, I always have the best intentions in mind. And I think. And yet you still do such a good job at it. At offending people? Yeah. Yeah. I know. I, know. I the friendships, friendships literally get ended without me knowing. So, yeah. Well, not that's not because you offend people. That's just, you know, everybody just, comes to the table with their own bugaboos. Yeah, exactly. So, but Aaron Bean, you are quite a fun guy with quite the selection of friends, including me. Do you have any friends oh. who could be the Harry to your Lloyd or vice versa? Okay. So, I... This is a really hard question to answer, to be honest, because to compare any of your friends to either of these characters means to inherently like say neg- something negative about them because neither of them are really somebody you want to be. So I think you have to like pick out certain elements of each character that might be redeemable and something that you would want to represent. Um, and first, yeah, thank you for saying that I have a very diverse friends group. I do. Yeah, I do have some great friends, including you in my life. And I honestly think we've all like one of the reasons why this movie resonates is that we all have some Harry in us and we all have some Lloyd in us, you know, and they're very similar in a lot of ways. But I I felt like, especially after rewatching it, seeing some of the very specific differences in them. So like Lloyd, Lloyd Christmas, he's that total delusion of grandeur. He's a dreamer, not in touch with reality at all, you know, as exhibited by those, those daydreams he has, like the one where he fights the chef and, pulls that pulls his heart out of his chest you know it's almost like a secret life of walter mitty level of disengagement with reality you know harry would seemed like a little bit more pragmatic though still obviously still way out of touch with reality just as dumb but he was maybe a little bit more uh, organized i suppose or level-headed and i don't i don't think any of my friends really fit the description of either of them thankfully or really anybody in the movie because except for Mary, there's really no character that didn't do something crappy or like was a crappy person. Um, But I will say, because he's never going to listen to this, I've got a friend named Nolan. (laughs) And I think 
I think he and I have a little bit of the 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 repartee, the the back and forth that Harry and Lloyd have in terms of just like saying dumb stuff that nobody else finds funny. And we're you know like he was on my trivia team before he moved away to, down to California, rest in peace. And you know we would sit there, there's just the two of us, just quoting dumb movie things and just saying the stupidest things. And our partners are just let next to us, thinking we were idiots. So I felt like we were both Harry and Lloyd in that situation. I like it. Yeah. I remember meeting your, your, your buddy was his name, Ryan. And that was the first person I've ever met. That was Tyler. That was Tyler Tyler that did the quotes. He was the first person I've ever met met in my life who could quote the bench warmers. I was, I was cracking up because I mean, I know what he was when he was saying it. I'm like, Oh my God, I know all these quotes, but I've just never met anybody who's the other day obscured bad movie. I was thinking of that because the other day in a group chat, he sent, he sent a clip from bench warmers, like not relating to to that story of you know you, you guys quoting it, and he sent this clip from it, and I was like, by the way, did you know that my buddy Zach brought up unsolicited that you are the only person that has ever quoted Benchwarmers with him? And he was like, well, that's because it's brilliant cinema, bro. It's a terrible movie, but I but I've seen it a bunch of times, and that's hilarious though too. If it's yeah. bad cinema, why have you watched it multiple times? Well, I mean, I like bad movies at times. I mean, there's literally Tubi has a whole bunch of terrible B movies and and they're really fun to watch, like Samurai Cop and Hard Ticket to Hawaii and that kind of stuff. I mean, they're terrible, but it's Kung kinda, Fury. Kung Fury's great. Yeah, you got you got to watch it at least once sort of thing, but Oh yeah. Um and you can make drinking games out of it. I think for me, a person who would probably be, you know, the hair to my Lloyd or vice versa would probably be like Blake, Blake Stanovich. Oh, um, that's a good one, yeah. Yeah, I think he puts he always puts on weird YouTube channels that I'm like instantly enamored by and we just laugh at really Shout dumb out to shit. Sick Animation. I know. We well, that and yeah, hug, don't hug me, I'm scared. Um like that kind of stuff is is crazy and we still quote it. It's it's stupid. I mean, I show him things and he shows me things and yeah, I mean, you're in that in that same um, atmosphere with us too, where we just share the videos. And so I think that mm-hmm. that could work really well. Uh, but I, I, that's who I would probably think of for this. If, if anybody, but. you're the Mary to my Harry. Ooh, thanks. I try to be, you got a nice butt. Ooh, yeah. yeah. I work out. This movie is one of the most quoted of all time. We've already been coordinated a bunch. Uh, it's hard to avoid any easy opportunities to quote this movie in any situation. However, at what point does a movie film get annoying for you because of how often it's quoted? Yeah. So I think it depends one on like how well it was written because certain quotes, you know, they're certain snippets of movies are so iconic that they, they almost like never go old unless you really, really overdo it. And certain movies just, you know, it depends on when you are growing up and what you watch with your, your friends growing up. So like an example I thought of was Anchorman. You know, Anchorman, if you grew up anytime, you know, if, if you were born basically between like 85 and 95, you probably spent most of your grade school talking, you know, in move in Anchorman quotes. And so that got, gets old, you know, um, even though it's still a funny movie, it just it wears you down. Uh, it's sort of like it, when the new song comes on the radio and they play it every five minutes and then you just hate it, even if it's a great song, you know, Um Anchorman is a kind of weird example, though, because it's similar to Dumb and Dumber in that it it, it exists in this weird, like semi alternate world where the main characters are just so over the top and so um, out of touch. Yeah, I I hate to keep maybe this is the word that you're getting me to use out of touch. I don't know, but um, like out of touch with reality so that we almost feel pity for them, you know, and 
it's it's similar to Dumb and Dumber, but I don't think it's nearly as replayable. Maybe just because it was overdone when I was growing up, you know. And with Dumb and Dumber, you know, Harry and Lloyd, they're they're the outliers in the story. We know that they're on the outside looking in. All the other people are somewhat normal, somewhat normal. And but Harry and Lloyd, they don't even understand the world they live in. They're completely oblivious to the uh, you know to the fact that they're out of the loop so their quotes come across as just benign there's no harm in them there's no malice you know it's they're they're innocent you just feel bad they're like puppies right so i feel like the quotes come across as as just lighthearted and i think it's interesting in, in movies like this and we'll talk a little more about why comedies aren't aren't working as well we, we touched briefly on it but um I think it's interesting like this because like I said, comedy is subjective. And so you don't know at any given point what line is going to be a quotable line. Um, You know, in the hangover, it's not a purse, it's a satchel, that kind of shit. Who thought that that was the most hilarious line ever when they were writing it? I mean, I'm sure that the writers were probably, this is going to be the golden line. And it was something completely different. Well, if you didn't have Zach Galifianakis delivering that line in that yeah. way, would it have, would it have any of the impact? Exactly. And you know, I, anytime I, I go snowboarding I'm like, are those skis yours? Both of them. I mean, just <laughs> that was, I'd never picked up on that, that joke until this time watching it. Like I just never paid attention to that scene. And when he said that, I just busted up laughing. It's funny. It was yeah. the first time I had really picked it out yeah it's like that Le- that leonardo dicaprio meme where he's pointing at the tv and he's like there it is exactly that was me yeah exactly so i um i do think that movies can definitely be overquoted, especially in the social media world we live in right now where you just see it nonstop. it's uh it gets to be a little much um you know i i think movies like borat i, I really oh, love God, that movie yeah. but but yeah, whenever i example. heard people say you know very nice like that kind of stuff it just it got to be way too much. And, and I was, Mm -hmm. I was like, okay, I get it. You've seen Borat. Like, like that's awesome. Right. (laughs) And so I think a lot of that kind of, kind of ruined it for me, but what kind of, what, what movies do you have in particular that may have been ruined for you because they've been overquoted? I hate to say this. Honestly, I do because I, I love this movie for a number of years when it came out, but super troopers, man, God, it was in part of it is the time period that I grew up in, but me and my friends, we just, howled in laughter at that movie and we i think part of it was when we were around each other we had that shared experience of liking that movie and so it was a way of bonding almost when we were around to 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 quote it just to to like as a memory of that shared experience but god it's at this point if somebody quotes super troopers to me whereas before i would have thought it was hilarious it just it doesn't have the same impact yeah that one's that one's tough for me i I liked that movie and I think I more I liked it more because it was a product of of the popularity. Everyone's like, it's so funny. And so of course when I went and in it I'm was. Like, it was, but I, I I was only laughing because I knew that the parts were funny. It's kind of like Monty Python for me, and anybody that listens to the show knows that I am just not a Monty Python fan. I don't I, I don't know what it is. I just I Nobody's can't get, get behind it. And it's it's weird, but Super Troopers, yeah, it's funny. There are moments, and I still quote things, you know, a liter of cola and, and <laughs> littering and yeah. Littering and I always, and. I'm always like, no one owns the water; it's God's water. <laughs> but it's, he's already pulled over. He can't pull over. Okay, maybe yeah. maybe it's not got ruined for me yet. I don't know. Maybe I'm full. Well, of shit. okay, but we can sit here and quote. That's that's my, the whole crux of my discussion for this is we can sit here and quote these movies to the Dickens, but it doesn't mean that we actually like him. It doesn't mean that they're you know classic films or anything like that. It's just they're they're in the well, frankly, annals. my dear, I don't give a damn. Well, they're in, in the annals of history for for us, at least for for our generation of film goers. 
Um, you, you did mention Step Brothers too, I believe, right? And and that one was funny because I went to uh, Fremont Oktoberfest last weekend, and uh, one of my friends was there, and she's forty five, and she's she's uh, very pretty. And this kid, I call him a kid because he was substantially younger. He was in front of us waiting for a beer, and he was wearing a Step Brothers T shirt, and I. I was a little inebriated, but I was talking with him. I'm like, dude, that's awesome. Like, cool shirt. Uh, how old were you when that came out? Just curious. And he's like, I was eight. Aaron, that <laughs> movie that movie came out in 2008. So <laughs> he was born in the year 2000. So this kid was 22 years old, if that. And I was just, oh, man. I was like, oh, sorry. my It's uh, liver and onions time. My, my bedtime's coming up. So <laughs> yeah. You're Mr. Doback. You're not. You're not like either of the main characters in that. You're Mr. Doback now. You're yeah, at that point of life. Exactly. Yeah. We make our own beef jerky. So um, cool. Okay. What What other movies too besides Super Troopers? Um, I mean Super Troopers, Anchorman. You know, I feel like the people I hang around with typically the only movies they quote are sort of the what you might call lowbrow comedy humors. It's not like we're getting around quoting Shakespeare, you know, so it's not like that's going to be stale for me, but just the, the dumb dopey. Oh, grandma's boys. Another one, that's you know, one, yeah. that's a, that's a good one. And there's so many good quotes. And I, I feel like it's still somewhat of a cult classic enough so that not as many people have watched it, you know, like, so it's one of those things where when you quote things, you don't necessarily want everybody to be in on the joke. Right. You want some people who hear you to quote things and be like, oh, what movie was that from? You know, oh, mm-hmm. yeah, it's from Grandma's Boy. It's a little indie movie. Yeah, Grandma's Boy is a good example. I forgot about that. I, I really like that movie, but it's it is also kind of overquoted. And so it's it's not as funny for me anymore, but I still enjoy watching it for sure. Oh, um, yeah. I, yeah, for sure. I think and this was relevant because this came out when we were in college, but The Hangover, I think that's one of the most mm-hmm. overrated comedies of all time. And I used it as an example earlier. There are funny moments that I, I will laugh at. But overall, that movie is just not very good. I mm. I don't find it that funny anymore. It was quoted so often and it kind of it kind of ruined it for me, honestly. Um, what do you think changed your opinion? Like, why do you think it's not? Is it not well made or what? It's just kind of a. It's an interesting idea, but I think it was a lot sexier back then than it than it is now. And and I just kind of I like how they're piecing things together. Like that's a fun, fun idea, but it just gets a little absurd and over the top. And I, I think it was kind of one of those college movies. Like I I appreciate it a lot because around my age, I'm like, yeah, you know, we're gonna drink so much and black out like that. And now I'm like, oh, well, this is kind of a this is kind of a petulant uh, idea for a film, but but that's also, you know, it's fun, too, though. I like fart jokes and I like that kind of stuff. So I'm not that much of a mature adult at, at times. So I don't know. Honestly, I, it's been a while since I've seen it, um, but I'm just saying I've seen it enough to where I'm kind of like, yeah, I'm good. You know, when you yeah. have a certain food and you've had enough mac and cheese that you're just like, eh, I think I'm good on mac and cheese for a while. <laughs> I think that's how I feel. Mac with, and cheese, bro. Well, I think that's how I feel with the hangover, but. I think I've only seen The Hangover a couple times. Like I said, I don't rewatch them, so I don't know if that one's been ruined for me yet, per se. Um, but I will say, I'm sure if I rewatched it now, it wouldn't be nearly as funny as it was when it first came out. No, yeah, I, I think that's probably pretty accurate too. No hate, no hate on uh, The Hangover fully. No, but I just, I, I just no. don't. Prefer B Coop, it. I mean, B Coop did good. Helms, you know, Helmsy, he was great. Mm-hmm. You know, yeah. If everybody, I mean, you know. Anybody can do can can like whatever they want. I would never sit here and tell you you're wrong for it. I might be like, that's crazy. But yeah, people can like whatever they want. 
So um, have you seen any of the sequels to Dumb and Dumber? And then money aside, is there any reason to make sequels or prequels to comedy classics like this? Yeah, um, you know, I have to say, unfortunately, I did. I did watch Dumb and Dumberer, which is not me having a stutter, but that's the name of the movie. It's Dumb and Dumberer. And it was like the pre, it was a sequel that was a prequel, you know, about young Harry and Lloyd. And uh, it was terrible. I don't think it needed to have been made. And it was a fair while after, like it must have been at least eight to 10 years after it was after the original came out. And I don't think that there was a reason for it, you know, because some movies just stand on their own and we don't need a follow-up. You know, we, we don't, the, the movie ended and that was great. That was the story. But obviously movie studios, when they see the returns, like they had on this one, where if the budget's 17 million and their worldwide domestic gross was like 270 or whatever it was. I mean, at that point money talks and they're going to try to, kind of cash off of that, that, you know, IP that, you know, um, intellectual property. Um, I didn't see the other one. I forget what it was called, but there was another one that was even more recent. I think it's just called dumb and dumber two. Yeah. Yeah. I did not watch that and I don't have any intention to, unless I wind up in some sort of saw like torture chamber and they play it 24 hours a day. Um, but, uh, I don't, think that they need to just like with a lot of the other Fairly Brothers movies. I mean, like the ones you mentioned at the start, you know, Kingpin. We don't need a Kingpin too. Me, me, myself and Irene, we don't need a second one. You know, it stands on its own. The story was what it was. We don't need to get more into it. And the thing about this one is it's like the, the world that they live in was just kind of a normal world and they were kind of a, a rough fit for the world. And at a certain point, I feel like that would that would become sort of a stale theme for a movie, just to continually watch these guys struggle to, you know, interact efficiently with their surroundings. You know, obviously, there's a lot of unwritten material there. You could you could project for their future lives after the the ending of this movie, where they go to do other harebrained ideas for businesses and get fired here and ill-gotten relationships and whatnot. But it just, we, it, we don't need it. You know, we already, we under understand these people and the danger you run into. I feel like when you get into these sequels, when you're chasing money is that you try to ride the coattails of the previous movie success, like super troopers too. Right. I don't know if you saw that, but I was, I watched it. I was even a Patreon or not a Patreon, a, uh, what GoFundMe. I, I donated on GoFundMe to help them get the movie made. And I watched it and literally every single gag or joke they made was just playing off one of the jokes from the previous movie. Yeah. I mean, it sounds, it sounds about right. It was terrible. It's like, it was, you know, supposedly written by the same guy as Broken Lizard. I don't know if they just got lazy or if they they didn't have enough creative control or what, but it was just miserable. You know, I was like, I've heard these jokes before. I've heard Farva, you know, interact and have conflict with his coworkers before. You know, it's just dumb. Yeah, I agree. I'm not a big sequel guy. You know, I am seeing Clerks 3 on Monday. I'm not a huge clerks fan, but I, I did enjoy the second one for the most part. And I, this third one looks pretty fun, but I mean, that's Kevin Smith doing a, a low, lower budget film because he likes to make films. It's not him just trying to trying to make a cash cow. And it's hard with comedy because 
it's not you're not going to see the big budget comedies anymore because globally and culturally comedy is very subjective. So what we mm. might find funny in the US people over in, you know, in Kenya would be like, what the hell? Or people yeah. in anywhere in Europe would be like, this is weird. I don't get this. Like Americans are stupid. What Americans we are say that about at, a lot of other people's cultures. Uh, sure. Too. Yeah. yeah. And but and what Americans are good at is big budget explode explodey fil films. And so that's Michael why you Bay. see. Yeah, that's why you see those as the big budget uh, pictures. But things, you know, that the the invent of um, basically streaming services has helped comedies create sequels or have uh, prequels or direct to direct to streaming movies. I mean, sure, you're not going to make a ton of money. I don't know how the money works for the streaming services, but it's those movies like deserve to go there. Like a Super Troopers 2 deserves to go straight to Hulu or Netflix. Dumb and Dumber 2 deserves straight to go to like Amazon Prime or whatever, right? If you have yeah. the rights. Coming to America 2, same thing. They went straight to Amazon Prime and it was fine. I wasn't upset with it. I didn't need to see it in theaters. I wasn't blown away, but yeah. Have you seen, do you know, can you think of an example of a sequel that was really well done and deserved to have been made money notwithstanding? So are you talking about a comedy sequel or just a sequel in general? Well, I, I would have to say comedy because I think comedy is harder to do a good sequel of. Yeah, that one's hard. Um, let me just Google. And I'm putting you on the spot here because I mean, no, that's if okay. we're thinking I, about non-comedies like Top Gun Maverick, you know, I've seen I saw it twice in theaters. I will see it uh, multiple times. The first time I thought it was cheesy and I didn't quite get it. And the second time I was like, I get it. You know, it's not it's just. It's not trying to be anything else. It's trying to be like a you know extension of the original with the same sort of vibe, and it was great. I loved it, but I don't think you can do that in comedy. It's exactly what I thought Topic of Maverick would be. I loved every minute because it, it did exactly. It knew it was so self aware, and it, it just it had I had fun. Um, so I, I would say things like Twenty Two Jump Street because I really loved Twenty One mm, Jump Street because the entire true. that was making fun of remakes. And the fact that they made a remake to make fun of remakes is incredibly meta, and I loved it. Yeah, there was even that montage at the end of all the other movies that they had done. That was hilarious. Mm -hmm. So technically, Hot Fuzz is not it's it's not a sequel, but it's like in the sequel of the trilogy of the Coronado trilogies and um, or Cornetto trilogies, I guess. And I love Hot Fuzz. I think it's one of the funniest movies ever made. It's just it's incredible. Um, National Lampoon's Van Vacation. I'd say that's probably the best of the of the vacation movies. Christmas Vacation, I should say. That's the best mm, of the vacation yeah. movies. That's like a second or a third one because they did European Vacation and that was okay. Um, yeah. Oh, gosh, what else? I don't know. I'd say Shrek 2. Shrek 2 is really good. I liked that True. a lot. True. Yeah, but Shrek yeah, 1 was is excellent good. as well. But I, yeah, so I think that's probably it. That's all that I can think of, at least, um, thanks to the, the internet machine. So, yeah. Um, yeah. But then uh, let's move on. So listen to this. And we were we were you were discussing this way earlier. But uh, from 1994 to 1999, this was the run of Jim Carrey in Living Color, Ace Ventura, Pet Detective, The Mask, Dumb and Dumber, Batman Forever, Ace Ventura, When Nature Calls, The Cable Guy, Liar Liar and The Truman Show. Now, that is quite a lineup. Who could be considered a modern day Jim Carrey or is this unattainable? I kind of feel like it is unattainable because I feel like he's one of those like paradigm breaking comedic forces. There's nobody I don't think right now that can really compare to him. 
I think one other guy who was even earlier than him and sadly is no longer with us is, is uh, Robin Williams. Um, because both he and Carrie were eventually able to like straddle that line between being serious and funny. And even when they were being funny, there was an emotionality to it. Um, so like, for example, with, with Carrie, you know, Batman forever and the Truman show, they're, they're not really comedies, you know, but he was funny at times in both movies, but it wasn't about the laughs. Right. And it's hard, I think, to find those comedians like Jim Carrey or Robin Williams that can do that, can take you from, you know, just rolling on the floor with laughter to crying, you know, in a, in a matter of minutes. And we've seen, I mean, we saw Robin Williams do that in a number of films, you know, he really got into some of those dramatic roles. And as you listed some of those, one thing I was thinking was all these roles, they started to get a little bit more serious as he went on, you know, like in living colors, just goofy Ace Ventura mask, dumb and dumber, red, goofy Batman serious ish, but he was obviously way over the top as the Riddler back to Ace Ventura. Then the cable guy was obviously a comedy, but had a lot of serious elements to it. Liar, liar. The whole thing hinged on the ability of him to be a good father and the fact that he couldn't even be honest with himself or his son and his son was not proud of him, which got to a really deep place. The Truman show, obviously that has a lot of um, sort of psychological elements of it, of somebody who's being experimented on and has this experience of, you know, being in a fishbowl, but it's also kind of funny so I would, I don't really know if there's anybody comparable to Jim Carrey. I think, you know, there are certain comedians now that have that sort of star power that can command an audience and that people will see their movies no matter what, you know, like Kevin Hart. A lot of people don't find Kevin Hart funny, but the fact is he's super marketable. He's super good at business and super, uh, you know, palatable for the American media audience. Um, you know, he's funny on and off screen. He seems like he's always in character, like Jim Carrey. You watch him in interviews and he's Jim Carrey, you know, especially when he's on cocaine and, uh, or was, I don't know, he's probably clean now. And he, he's like the comedic engine behind it. You know, you just know if that guy's in the room, he's driving whatever funny conversational jokes are going on. And I don't know if there's anybody besides Kevin Hart that really does that right now. Yeah, it's really hard. I think you nailed it was with saying that they're kind of their own thing. Uh, Robin Williams and, and and Jim Carrey were anomalies. They were crazy, but they there was a method behind it and there was a purpose behind it. And I've always said that comedic actors make the best dramatic actors overall because of the range of emotion that they can go through. And I mean, I'm thinking of like Melissa McCarthy. She was in a movie called um, Can You Please Forgive Me, I think. And she did a phenomenal job. I think she got nominated for a Golden Globe. She was great. And I love Melissa McCarthy. Um, Robin Williams, obviously, in Good Will Hunting. Jim Carrey mm-hmm. in The Truman Show. And then he kind of pivoted into some other kind of weird roles. But you can get a lot of dramatic acting from these comedic uh comedic otherwise comedic actors so i i I think it's it's excellent and because anybody can act well not anybody but a good majority of people can act not everybody can be funny that's that's that uh it's way harder anomaly i think so much harder to be funny and and jim carrey just does so much with his nonverbal communication and his whole body acting that that make it it's really good. Mm-hmm. Kevin Hart ha- has it to a certain point. I'm actually not a huge Ke- Kevin Hart fan, but he can do it to a certain point. 
for sure. I think I think he's quite funny. So it's um yeah, it's very interesting. Yeah, whether or not you like his humor, I think you can recognize that he is a humorous person. He has that spirit within him. Whether or not his jokes like match up with what you think is funny, a lot of people do, you know? Yeah, absolutely. So you have a bunch of Gen Z friends who you work with because they're all young. Big shout out. In fact, your buddy, uh, what was his name again? It wasn't Ryan. It was uh, Tyler. Uh, He even quoted the Benchwarmers that night we all hung out, which was incredible and obscure all at the same time. So if you were to pick one scene from Dumb and Dumber to show to a Gen Zer to convince them that this is a good film, what scene would it be and why? Yeah, that's a hard question for me because I don't, to be honest, I don't know if there's any scene that you could just show somebody from this movie and they would think, oh yeah, this is a good movie. You know, like they would look at it and be like, well, this is, looks like it's from the nineties, you know, but I think there's definitely scenes you could show somebody even if they were born way, 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 way after this movie came out and they would still think it was funny. They would still get it. Um, one of them was when Harry and Lloyd have a, like a mini breakup on the road to Aspen and uh, Harry shows up as, or as Harry is walking down the road, Lloyd shows up in his, you know, new moped that he just traded the, he traded his friend's van for, he traded the van for it straight up. He just, he traded his friend's vehicle that he had said earlier in the movie, he had spent his whole life savings turning into a Australian shepherd. And his friend was just totally uh, beside himself, happy with him about it. You know, just when you, I don't think you could be any dumber, you totally redeem yourself, you know? And I think that is one of those moments in the movie that is, it's heartwarming, it's connective, and also just reinforces, God, these guys are fucking idiots excuse my <laughs> yeah. language the other the other one might probably my favorite scene because you know they go through all these, these trials and tribulations in the movie and you're like man these guys can't catch a break and yet they've also been incredibly lucky because they've been driving a lamborghini around aspen for a week and then they're walking down the road and that bus shows up that's like the the hawaiian Trop- the tropicana tropicana girls, girls. yeah <laughs> yeah and they're all in their bikinis for some reason on the bus and they're like, hey, we're looking for a couple of guys to tour around the country with us and rub us down with oil. And just Harry and Lloyd are so happy that they're able to like point these girls in the right direction. Like, oh, you're in luck. There's a town right down the road. There's bound to be somebody there that can help you out. And then like 20 seconds later, man, some guys get all the luck, you know? It's just you're you're hoping in that moment, you're you're just praying, your fingers are crossed, like, figure it out this time. Come on. You this this opportunity is right in front of you. Just say the right thing. But of, of course, they don't. And that's the the piece de resistance for the movie, you know, like right at the end, you're like, they are who we thought they were, you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah. No, that's funny. I I agree. I think the the you know, and you totally redeem yourself. That scene mm-hmm. is is hilarious. I would also say the extra gloves scene when he's mm. like, I can't feel my fingers. <laughs> and he's like, oh, yeah. It's like, here, you can take these extra gloves. My hands are getting sweaty anyways. I think yeah. that part is really good. And then I think uh, showing the the sea bass scene would be good because, I mean, this is a road trip movie and that shows exactly what they're dealing with. But it's also it shows what kind of people they are and and how this funny situation can immediately turn to like, oh yeah, I know half a mile down the road, the killer catches up and slits her throats. It was a good one. <laughs> yeah. I think yeah. 
like just how oblivious they are to things. It's, it's and yet they and yet they always somehow come out on top. Like when they put the peppers in that guy's burger, yeah. and then when he un- knocks Seabass unconscious, like somehow they come out okay, even though they miss all their opportunities. Yeah, I always and I always say it was just a goof. So. I dig it. Hell yeah. Um, yeah. It is hard to convince people to, to watch for, for this uh, movie to take any scene and, and really put it in because it'd be out of context. You kind of have to watch the whole thing. Mm. But I honestly would have a hard time putting this on for somebody who's who's a bit younger and, and them really appreciating it. I mean, they might, you know, but I think it was definitely a product of the 90s. And if you didn't live through the 90s, then you didn't appreciate it as much. The same could be said for certain 80s films. I've seen certain 80s mm-hmm. films that I'm like, I just don't get it. And but people are like, well, you know, I, I grew up with this. I'm like, that's totally fine. I get it. Yeah. Like Clerk, Clerks. Clerks is a great example. I don't think it's that great, but I didn't grow up around that time or I, I did grow up around that time, but I wasn't that age uh, like mm-hmm. a, you know, 20 year old when that movie came out. I was like, yeah, you weren't, you weren't a 20 year old burnout when you when you were watching that. Yeah. Movie. And so it didn't relate with me really well, but I can still appreciate it. So I think, you know, I want to give the Gen Zers credit. I'm sure they could totally appreciate it. It's just that they're like, well, this is kind of stupid. So. Don't give them any credit. They don't deserve it. Nah. <laughs> so those are all the questions I have, but I want to do some fun segments that I'm implementing into this. Um, so I want to get, Aaron, your hottest take. Now, you can defend, uh, you can only choose one, but you can defend your most controversial or hottest take on this movie, on movies of this comedy genre, comedies from the era, actors, etc., whatever. So do you have a hot take you want to defend? Okay, this was a hard one for me to answer. I'm going to have to do this one off the cuff. To be honest, I think, and, and not that you could say something controversial about this per se, because it's, you know, it's just a dumb comedy movie. But I think the the movies, the comedy movies made in this era, it was a golden age of comedy that we will never see again, not just in movies, but if you think about the fact that the mid-90s SNL cast was the best it will ever be, the best it has ever been. The I guess the creative freedom and the artistic license that people had back in those days to make movies that resonated so well over time, I think makes that section of the, you know, the mid-90s, the golden era, almost like the, the 30s and 40s of Hollywood in terms of comedy in America. We'll never see it again. We're never going to see the run of movies like you mentioned before, just the Fairley Brothers with There's Something About Mary and Me, Myself, and Irene and Kingpin and these other movies that came around that time. Nothing will ever top that. I don't know if I'd necessarily disagree with you on that, but... I think comedy is 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 kind of dead in in the sense of having a really good comedy for pretty much everything we've been talking about for the past hour. But yeah, the you know the advent of streaming models, uh, no more huge big budget comedies, um, and no more big stars anymore. The Adam Sandlers have been reduced down to direct to to streaming content. You know, mm. it's not you're not finding these big movies, and even when you do, like a Grown Ups or Grown Ups Two, those movies suck. It's just a bunch <laughs> of it's just a way to get famous famous people on the screen at the same time, and hey, they tell David a little Spade bit. David Spade listens jokes. to this podcast. You shouldn't say that. I hope so. That'd be incredible. I love David Spade. That's true. But, that would be incredible. But yeah, there's like a lot of there's a lot of factors involved. So that is a, a little bit harder to obtain. I, I'm an optimistic person, though, and I feel we'll get that renaissance because, I mean, time is a circle, right? And we're going to see this again and, and we're okay, going Matthew to see McConaughey. something. Well, what yeah, Yellow King. Pretty much. We're, we're going to see something like this again. I, I'm, I'm confident enough uh, for it, but who knows when it'll be. So Oof. I don't know. Oh, it, 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 it's tricky because you could have said this about. Shit, I mean, like, I don't know. 
I don't know comedies in the 70s, but you could have said this about comedies in the 70s, and that was only 20 years prior. Porkies? I mean, you Porky, couldn't make sure, a Porky's yeah. anymore. No, there's no way. I mean, sure, there's nuance b- between it, but yeah, this... So are you saying comedy's dead then? In, no, in, no, you this, said this, comedy was dead. I don't, this, I don't think this comedy's This style dead. of comedy, it's never going to get better than um, this. Hmm. I think that like you alluded to earlier, comedy is going to be stifled to a certain extent, which is why you see certain comedians like Dave Chappelle push back so hard against it and almost go in the opposite direction. I think there's a lot of pushback against it. And I don't, I think long-term it it won't matter that we're still going to march on in the, in the direction that we're going. And I think that there's going to be, um, you know, comedy, you're going to have to think too much about your comedy and, and you're going to have to critique it too much and edit it. And it's not going to be that kind of off the cuff, spontaneous sort of comedy that, uh, to a lot of people is the funniest type of comedy, the comedy that is offensive, but is genuinely funny. And I think resonates with, um, at least a lot of people, um, you know, but is definitely, uh, tough to do right yeah no that, that makes sense I, I i got you on that one you got me so i think my hot take is you know i think that the i'm gonna call it the road trip comedy it's one of the most useful and effective comedic tools in in mm. comedy films and it's basically when two or more opposite people or opposites people uh, they have one goal in mind. They encounter a ton of setbacks on some sort of journey, some sort of road trip, and they learn about themselves during the journey. Uh, it's pretty basic storytelling, but it works so well because you put them up against these various odds that they have to encounter, and a lot happens. There's big setbacks, but they they develop as characters. I think it's better than the stoner comedy genre, the slapstick, dramedies. I'm looking at Judd Apatow movies. Or just comedies that rely on one big actor, like a like an Adam Sandler movie that, you know, he's carrying the entire film. So I think movies like Road Trip, Planes, Trains and Automobiles, Due Date, Dutch, Tommy Boy, uh, National Lampoon's Vacation, Harold and Kumar, Go to White Castle, Sex Drive, Little Miss Sunshine and Pee Wee's Big Adventure are all great examples. And I think the Road Trip comedy is one that will never die. So I'm, hmm. I'm kind of on that same, except a little different with you. I just think that the road trip comedy model will never die. It will never go see, out of style. Did you see that Paul Rudd movie, The Fundamentals of Caring? Um, I saw parts of it. I know that he was like Slim James, but I didn't see the entire thing. <laughs> yeah, that was a good example of a movie that was funny, but wasn't necessarily even a comedy. You know, it was like a, it was a buddy movie about the and it was a in some times a drama mm-hmm. It's starring, you know, I had Selena Gomez in it. Shout out. Selena Gomez. Um, but it was more touching than than funny, but it definitely had a lot of comedic elements. You know, I mean, Paul Rudd, how do you not? But it was a great road trip movie that just everybody could watch and enjoy. Yeah, I agree. Um, I, I, I like that idea. It just it, it works because we've all been on road trips before and we've all met somebody who has been a little different. And I think you can put them in these precarious situations and at the, at the end of it, honestly, it just becomes somewhat dramatic. There's always a happy ending. You have your start and then you have your conflict in the middle and then you have the climax and then they become friends again or something happens or, right. you know, they, ki- they kiss and make up. And I think it's it's so well done and, and they can be classified as somewhat heartwarming at the very end. Uh, all mm-hmm. of all of those movies I, I listed, there's there's no real bad ending for a for a road trip comedy and there shouldn't be a bad ending because it's a comedy. I, I don't want to see it. I don't want to watch unless you're watching the hitcher sad. 
Oh, well, that's not a comedy. That's a horror movie, <laughs> but yeah. yeah. So that's my hot take. I think road trip comedies are the greatest, uh, and that is the best model you can ever use for a comedic film. But who, who am I? I'm just a guy with a microphone. I'm just a man in front of a girl. Yeah. So Aaron, um, I'll admit I was counting. I might've lost one or two, but can you guess the secret word that you said throughout the show? You said it twice. That's it? it? Okay. Yeah. So this I know. is going to be a I tough was, one to guess. I need to, I need to change this up and, and think of a way uh, for future mm. episodes for, for my guests to, to like kind of draw it out of them. I okay. thought you would use, you were very eloquent. I just thought you would use this a lot more. So can you guess the secret okay. word? My first thought was the word is probably going to be dumb. Was it dumb? No. You, okay. you get two more two more guesses. Two more guesses. Shoot. Okay. Um Um I would say was the word cringy? No. Okay, no, it wasn't cringy. Um was the word sea bass? Nope. And that is okay. it. And the word was classic. You only said it Ooh. twice. I was trying to push it towards you, but mm. it wasn't a it wasn't an Aaron Bean classic or this film wasn't Mm-mm. a comedy classic or anything. Mm-mm. So I was hoping you'd get it because when I talk about this movie, I call it a classic quite a bit. So mm. it's a cornerstone. Uh, it's more than a classic. It's Ooh. a cornerstone. I like it. It's a capstone. So let me get your final thoughts and letter grade for Dumb and Dumber. Okay, so I guess I'll do my letter grade first. If I'm judging it based off of today's standards, I would give it a B plus because I think it definitely still has merit. It's not, you know, for somebody who's growing up right now, it's probably not going to be the funniest thing they ever watch, but it's definitely still funny. And I think when it came out, it was a, a probably an A, maybe if I'm being rude, an A minus. Um, in terms of final thoughts, honestly, I think we've covered it really, really well today. Um, what I would say is if there's anybody listening who has not seen it and doesn't necessarily feel the desire to see it after listening to us, then just completely change your mind and at least give it a shot because it deserves one viewing. You know, if nothing else, just to see the the pure insanity of what that era of comedy was. Uh, and it, it deserves at least one shot. Yeah. Um, okay. And then finally, you want to give us uh, some movies you're excited about or what I should be watching now? Okay. Yes. Uh, I have two answers for movies. One I've watched and one I have not because it's not out yet. So we went and watched 3000 Years of Longing starring Tilda Swinton and Idris Elba uh, directed by George Miller. And I went in based on the the, the trailer. I thought it was going to be this crazy psychedelic like just whirlwind and it was to an extent, but it was much more uh, traditional than I, like a story than I had expected. Um, it, the performances were awesome. The story was great. It was a modern twist on a genie tale, you know, sort of like a, like Aladdin sort of situation with the three, three uh, wishes. And it was great. Like Tilda Swinton and Idris Elba are obviously f- tremendous actors. And I, I really enjoyed that movie. One that's coming up that I'm, and I've only seen one trailer and I'm already, I'm going to watch this movie was when I sent you the trailer. I don't know if you watched it, but it's called Dead for a Dollar starring Christoph Waltz and Willem Dafoe of Green Goblin fame. And I, I was trying to just like think about how would I describe that movie? And it was like, it was shades of spaghetti Western, but if made by the Coen brothers, but also Quentin Tarantino, 
And also it was sort of like Power of the Dog, which was another recent Western movie. And, but also kind of like Django in terms of the violence and the sort of retributive theme, as well as the the soundtrack straight up feels like Ennio Morricone like produced it, you know, who did the the uh, Quick Dead and the Ugly. So it's I'm really excited about that. Cool. Okay. Oh yeah, I'll have to check it out. I I I saw what you sent me. I wasn't able to watch it. I got busy, and then I just kind of. <sighs> kept living my life but i will definitely check it out now that you said that it's it's in my text chain Ooh, so and in I terms will, of tv shows the patient starring steve carell we are watching it right now it's on hulu fantastic it's also got that weird looking guy uh don't tell me um oh god he was in the new he was in the most recent star wars reboot um oh my god i'm going to Zachary Quinto <laughs> no, John. No, Cho? you're thinking Star Trek. Um, oh, Star Wars no. reboot. Oh, John Boyega. No, white guy with red hair. Um, oh yeah, Dom Hill Gleason. Domino Gleason. Yeah. yeah. So Domino Gleason, Steve Carell. Uh, it's fantastic. It's about this therapist who gets kidnapped by a serial killer who wants him to fix him, and that's all I'm going to say. And it's Ooh. very intense. And we, Steve Carell, I guess, is another example of those comedians who have that's transitioned a great example. Into, into drama you know fox catcher and some of the other work he's done um that is a great show so far yeah okay i uh i I dig it i think that that's kind of where i'm at i'm at a b minus though with it but for all the reasons that you're saying it just didn't hold up very well for me but i would want people to give it a shot and see and i could be incredibly wrong you know it could a different generation could easily latch on to it and be like this is the greatest comedy of all time so maybe. yeah, maybe it's a, it's, it's a pipe dream. Cool. Well, thank you for being on the show. I really appreciate you as always. I appreciate you. Appreciate you, buddy. Thanks. Yeah. You're always welcome back. I expect you to come back for some episodes and it'll, it'll be great tomorrow. Uh, I can't tomorrow. I'm doing a crazy oh, okay. hike and I gotta go to bed pretty soon. Yeah, you are gnarly. So, um, okay. Well, that's all I have to say. So thank you for listening to the Don't Be Crazy podcast. Remember to follow us on Twitter at DBCrazyPod and at ZachDale60, where you can share your thoughts, give us film suggestions, or send us funny memes. I love memes. Aaron, where can we find you on the social medias? Yeah, I'm on uh, the, the the Boomer medias. You know, I'm on Facebooks. Um, I have a Facebook, which is my name. I guess that's the easiest way to find me if you wanted to, but... Please don't. Uh, Instagram at Beanar, B-E-A-N-A-A-R. Uh, I'm occasionally on Twitter where I say stupid things about sports mostly. And other than that, no TikToks, no Snapchats, none of that. Um, just the basics. Awesome. So make sure you subscribe to the Don't Be Crazy podcast on Apple Podcasts and leave us a five-star review if you like it. Additionally, we are also available on every other major podcast app. Thank you for listening. Until next time, don't be crazy.